All right, we've been going through the Old Testament, verse by verse, and we're up to 1 Samuel chapter 20. At this point, David has been fleeing from King Saul, and uh, we're going to see more of that in our passage today. But to get back into the story, just kind of get some of the context, I'm going to back up to chapter 19 and verse 18, and we'll just start reading there to kind of get back in the flow. I know it's been a while since we had a chance to get into 1 Samuel. So if you want to look at 1 Samuel chapter 19, back up to verse 18. So David fled and escaped, and he went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and stayed at Naoth. Now it was told Saul, saying, Take note, David is at Naoth in Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the group of prophets prophesying, and Samuel standing as leader over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. And when Saul was told, he sent other messengers, and they prophesied likewise. Then Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they prophesied also. So the Lord kept stopping everything that Saul was trying to do against David here. Verse 22, then he also went to Ramah, and he came to the great well that is at Sechu, So he asked and said, where are Samuel and David? And someone said, indeed, they are at Naoth in Ramah. So he went there to Naoth in Ramah. Then the Spirit of God was poured out upon him also, and he went on and prophesied until he came to Naoth in Ramah. And he also stripped off his clothes and prophesied before Samuel in like manner, and lay down naked all that day and all that night. Therefore, they say, is Saul also among the prophets? So we mentioned Last time, you know, that when people saw this going on, they said, wow, is Saul changing his profession? He's going to become a prophet now, you know? So the Lord had stepped in and all these, uh, like someone called them assassins, were coming after uh, Dave, uh, David here. The Lord just stopped it all and made him prophets instead of assassins. So the Lord can do amazing things, you know, when, when we're walking with him and we're, we're following the Lord. So this is where we find David at this point. And in chapter 20, verse 1, as it goes on, Then David fled from Naoth in Ramah, and he went and he said to Jonathan, remember Jonathan is King Saul's son there. So David goes to him and he said, What have I done? You know, what is my iniquity? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? So although the Lord has stepped in and rendered King Saul harmless at this point, David knew this wasn't over. (laughs) So he goes to, uh, he goes to Jonathan. He, he knew that King Saul still had it out for him. So he's trying to get some answers, you know. Uh, he just couldn't figure out why this is happening to him. You know, and sometimes we get frustrated too. And we find ourselves in a bad situation. And we know we didn't do anything to cause it. So, you know, David here, he wants to find answers. You know, he's saying, what's going on? You know, why is this happening to me? And I know we've been there before at times like that and just can't figure out what's up with this. So David here, he even seems to be, you know, asking his friend if there are any blind spots, you know, that he's got. And he just doesn't see him because he's saying, you know, what sin have I committed? Maybe I've done something that I don't know about. So that's not a bad thing to to do. You know, go to a Christian friend and a, a good brother or sister in Christ and ask him, you know, is there any blind spot? Is there something I've done, you think, that may have, have brought this about? I don't see anything, but, but maybe there is something. 
So that's not a, a bad thing at all because we all have those blind spots, right? Uh, we have things that we do, maybe things we react to and we don't see them, but other people can. So it's not a bad thing to, to ask them, you know, if we think that's going on. And we need, you know, that, to know there's some people that care about us and that we can come to in those things. And, you know, especially when we've opened ourselves up and said, hey, would you please tell me? <laughs> don't, don't hold anything back because David here, he's trying to find answers. And, and look at this picture, too. Here's David. He's been anointed already to be the next king of Israel. And what's he doing? He's running for his life. <laughs> so, hey, I thought, you know, when, when you got anointed, you know, that's when life really starts to get good for you, right? <laughs> yeah, that's when things really, you know, turn around. But no, they, that's when things really start to get tough. And uh, they, they really start to, to drive you crazy. You know, things just go nuts. So what's really going on with David here? I mean, why is this stuff happening to him? It's a good question. Well, he's going through the training process that the Lord was putting him through to prepare him for the future ministry, you know, that he was calling to, to be the king of Israel. Now, that's, that's a really hard job. It's a high position. You need to be prepared for that. So the Lord is taking him through some rough times to sharpen him, to get him ready for everything he's going to face. And you know, it's the same, same thing for us. There are things that we may need to go through to prepare us to serve the Lord. And the Lord knows what those things are. But we most likely don't even have a clue, <laughs> you know. So sometimes when the Lord is humbling us, when he's doing something in our life, and we feel like we're being chased by the enemy, we don't understand why. But the Lord says, this is necessary. This, this needs to take place because I'm working in your life. I'm preparing you, okay. So when we go through things like that, we, when we wonder what's going on, just like David did here, we just need to hang in there, you know, through those difficult times and just trust the Lord because he knows what he's doing, even when we don't. You know, I encourage myself and try to encourage you that quite a bit too. <laughs> there are times when we just don't get it, but God does. He knows exactly what's going on. So we just need to trust him. So let's look at verse two. So Jonathan said to him, you know, here's, here's David saying, man, why does your dad want to kill me? And Jonathan says, by no means. You shall not die. Indeed, my father will do nothing, either great or small, without first telling me. And he's saying, I, he hasn't said that to me about this. And he says, why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. So he's trying to tell David, you know, hey, don't, this can't be true. Don't worry about it. You're getting upset over stuff that's not even real. My dad's not after you. <laughs> so, uh, what we find out as we get on the passage here, because King Saul is after David still, that hasn't changed. You know, just because the Lord slowed him down for a minute here, it's not over. David is right about that. So apparently uh, King Saul, Jonathan's dad, didn't tell him this time that he was seeking to kill him. I think he figured out, you know, that, hey, Jonathan's, you know, he's helping David here and I'm not gonna be able to get to him if he keeps stepping in. So uh, as, as David comes here, Hoping Jonathan, the one who's probably closest to his dad in this situation, uh, figure he might have some answers. And he doesn't get any answers, okay? And, and by the way, don't get discouraged when, when you don't get answers either <laughs> as to why you're going through stuff, you know? I think a lot of times the Lord isn't going to tell us because he just wants us to learn to trust him, especially when we're going through tough times. And are those fun to go through? Not at all. But again, we just need to trust him because he, he's got this, right? So verse three goes on. Then David took an oath again. So it's like 
David's real serious about this. He's not kidding around. He took an oath again and he said, your father certainly knows that I have found favor in your eyes. And he said, do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. So David, he's sharp. He knows what's going on. He's figured out that Saul's not telling him anything. It says, but truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. <laughs> so David's trying to convince Jonathan that this death threat against his life is real. So it's interesting that David understands this. He knows King Saul well enough that he knows he's not going to stop, you know. And, and then an interesting picture of our, our enemy that we have. He's not going to stop. He's persistent. He's going to keep coming, you know. So I don't think we should fool ourselves either to think, oh, he doesn't care anymore. <laughs> I, I don't know. I've, I've had those thoughts in the past thinking, why would he care about me? You know, I'm a nobody. Who cares? But you know what? If we promote the word of God, if we are lifting up Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter who you are, your enemy has a target on you, you know, and he's gonna be persistent. So we've gotta always keep our guard up. You know, we, we've always gotta be prepared. So David here, he, he knows something's wrong and he's trying to get an answer and he's not gonna find it here at this point. But verse four goes on. So Jonathan said to David, whatever you yourself desire, I will do it for you. So I'm not sure that that David, uh, that Jonathan actually believed David here, you know, because Jonathan was pretty certain that his dad would never do anything like that. You know, he just said that. So uh, he's thinking he's never gonna do this without telling me first. I, I would certainly know. So we don't hear Jonathan say, yeah, you're probably right. No, he just says, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. I mean, you've probably been in those conversations before where you're trying to convince somebody and there's like, I'm not gonna go there, but you know, if you want me to help you with something, I'll do that. So I think that's what we're seeing there. So he's gonna help David any way he can, all right? And, and that's when you know you found a very faithful friend. <laughs> they may not fully believe you, but they're gonna, they're gonna try to do anything they can, you know, to help you and, and try to get what they think you need. So that's, that's a pretty cool friend when you find somebody like that. So Jonathan here, he commits himself to helping David. And you know, what a faithful and dear friend David had in Jonathan, because he says, I will do it for you, whatever, you just tell me. Coming to verse five, and David said to Jonathan, indeed, tomorrow is a new moon. So David's got a plan. He would just, you know, coming up with something here, hoping Jonathan's gonna go along with it. He said, indeed, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit with the king to eat. So they're gonna have this celebration. He said, but, but let me go that I may hide in the field until the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked permission of me that he might run over to Bethlehem, his city, it's his hometown, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the family. If he says thus, it is well, your servant will be safe. But if he is angry, very angry, David says, if King Saul really blows up over this, you can be sure that evil is determined by him. So dad's gonna be up to no good if this happens, okay? So David was saying, I'm gonna prove this to you. So here's how you're gonna know that your father really does have a death threat out against me. So David brings up this, this new moon that's coming up the next day. And that was a typical celebration they had where they were gonna celebrate the start of a new month, you know, the new moon, all right? And so David was saying that 
he would normally be expected to be at that celebration. He's kind of part of the king's staff, right? He's supposed to be there when the evil spirit comes to, to shake him up. So he's, he's kind of, they're used to seeing him right there, uh, pretty close to King Saul. So there's a very good chance here that Saul was going to say something to Jonathan, you know, and David wasn't going to be there. So David knows this is, this is a good plan. This is going to show something here. Now, David, the thing is, he asked Jonathan to lie for him. Did you notice? Because that's not what David's going to do. So he's asking him to lie in this situation. All right. And David's got fear going. He's concerned about what's happening. He's got a death threat. He's going to die. Possibility is pretty high in his mind. So he's, he's trying to do whatever he can he thinks he needs to do. And this is where we got to be really, really careful, guys. When we're going through a tense situation in our life, we got to be so careful not to revert to worldly ways. You know, there are other options, all right? And uh, we'll see this as we get through here. So he asked Jonathan to lie, and this is not God's way. That's not how the Lord gets things done. So the Lord records in his word here when people lie, but the Lord doesn't condone their lying. So don't think God was saying, good job, David, you came up with a good solution here. No, he's going to let him slide with this. He's going to get through it, but there's a problem we'll see. You know, it's still a sin in the eyes of the Lord. So by David trying to use lies to protect himself here, it shows us he is not trusting the Lord to get him through this situation. He's going to take things in his own hands and try to do them what he thinks is best. We've never done that before, right? We've never reverted to, I think I've got this one. I've got a, an answer. I know it's not what the Bible says, but... And man, we get ourselves in trouble right there, right? So when we do things like this, what we're actually doing is missing out on a testimony, you know? We could have had a great witness if we simply would have trusted the Lord. You know, down the road, when we look back, we could have had a praise report to share rather than a huge regret, you know, that we're probably going to rather hide than want to tell anybody because we trusted in ourselves rather than in the Lord. So as we continue to grow in the Lord, we certainly don't want to miss these opportunities that the Lord gives us to trust Him when they come our way. And uh, they may not happen every single day in our life, but when they come, we don't want to miss them, you know? Isn't it funny when we, I thank the Lord that He lets us observe stuff like this, kind of from a distance. We can see David and say, what are you doing, man? You know, and we don't see much of ourselves in that at the moment, maybe. But as we're looking at this, you know, it's like the Lord is saying, uh, I want you to watch this the way it looks on the outside. You know, as David looks back down the road and somebody says, David, how did you, how did you pull that off? How did you find out and everything? What's he going to say? Um, I had Jonathan tell a lie for me. Wow. What kind of shame do you feel when that happens? You know? But if he would have said, you know, I, I trusted the Lord in this. And I asked Jonathan, would you just ask your dad? Would you just honestly ask him what's going on? I mean, and if he'd have said, well, here's the deal, <laughs> and then Jonathan could have done what he did before, right? Jonathan steps in and, and is an advocate. He tries to talk to his dad and say, hey, man, what's David done? You know, think this through, dad. He's done nothing but bless this nation. He hasn't done anything against you. He hasn't done anything against these people. And, and the Lord used that before, but we don't have that now. So it's, it's interesting, you know. This conflict that David was going through, it showed the weakness that was in him. He had an issue here, and that's what the Lord was working in the life of David. You know, when we get in, in extremely difficult situations, 
uh, and we revert to trusting and doing things our own way as opposed to the Lord, you know, helping us because we trusted in Him. You know, that's, that's missing out what, what the Lord can do in our life. And He puts us in those situations to allow our weaknesses to come to the surface too so He can deal with them and help us grow through them. Yeah. So I say it's, it's uncomfortable when the Lord does this. He's turning up the heat, you know. But remember, in purifying gold, that's what you do, right? You turn up the heat, the junk comes to the top, and then it can be removed. So uh, it's frustrating to be in those times, but the Lord's working in David's life right here. And uh, he's going to continue to kind of press him on things like this, because David has a tendency to do that. He seems to have a tendency to want to kind of lie or deceive to get out of things. So the Lord's going to let us see that. He doesn't hide it. He lets us see David's a sinner, you know, like the rest of us. And that we can learn from this. So go on to verse 8. Therefore, he says, you shall deal kindly with your servant. This is David telling Jonathan. So I'm your servant, man. Deal kindly with me. For you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. He said, nevertheless, even even though we've got this covenant, you know. He said, if there is iniquity in me, if I've really got some big sin. He said, kill me yourself. You know, he says, for why should you bring me to your father? And uh, and Jonathan said, far be it from you. For if I knew certainly that evil was determined by my father to come upon you, then would I not tell you? And you know, it appears that Jonathan was pretty hurt by the words of David here, because David's saying, you know, hey, if I really got this, just kill me yourself. I don't want you to take me, I'd rather die at your hand than at the hand of your dad, so just get this over with. Can you imagine if you're in Jonathan's shoes, you really care about David, and he's saying that to your face, you know? Yeah, so I think Jonathan was kind of crushed here, and he's like, wow, are you kidding me? Because Jonathan insists again that if he knew anything about a death threat his dad had against him, he would tell David. It's like, why would I hide that from you? You know, and he's, he'd surely let David know about it. Now, I don't know, it doesn't tell us right here in the passage, but it sure makes me wonder where are these thoughts coming from for poor David? I think the enemy is encouraging some of this stuff, right? That, hey, man, you think Jonathan's your buddy? He's not, man. He's setting you up, you know? Where do those thoughts come from? That's the stinking enemy, right? I mean, that's what I would assume. So we've got to be really careful because our enemy is going to throw junk our way, too, and try to cloud up our thinking and cause doubt, cause, cause us to have fear and everything else. And David, at this point, he's not strong enough to, to withstand that. So he's crumbling under some of this, and we'll see that as we get in here. So verse 10, after Jonathan says, there's no way, man. Verse 10, then David said to Jonathan, who will tell me? Or or what if your father answers you roughly? You know, so so David, he's frustrated, and he acknowledged that he didn't know where to turn. It's kind of like, man, if you're my best friend, if you don't tell me, where am I going to go? Who's going to tell me? Right, so (laughs) David's still putting the pressure on can you see the fear inside of David, man? He knows they got a wanted poster out there with my face on it. And I could die, you know, any time here. That's in his mind. That's the thoughts he's, he's turning over in his head. So he's pleading with Jonathan just about, like, are you not going to help me? You know? So have you ever been in a situation like that? You don't know which way to turn? And what's the best answer for that? I mean, Just stop and think this through as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. What's the best answer? Turn to the Lord, of course, right? And it's funny and sad at the same time that we'll wait to turn to the Lord until we've tried everything else. 
right? You hear people saying things like, well, we tried everything else. I guess we'll just have to pray. Well, I know you've heard that. I've, I've heard that too. It's like, really? Shouldn't prayer be the first place we turn and not the last place we turn? You know, I saw a church sign that's out by our house there, and it says, is prayer your spare tire or is it your steering wheel? Think about that. Thought, wow, that's, that's a potent one there, right? Because a lot of times it is a spare tire. Oh, man, I got a mess now. Nothing's working. I guess we got to see if we got the spare in the trunk. Hopefully it's there. It's the last shot. It's the Hail Mary, you know. <laughs> Rather than, hey, man, it's my steering wheel. I live by this. I pray and let the Lord lead, right? I thought that was a great sign. You know, one Friday night, talking about this, praying at the last resort. I may have told you this before. Mike and I were heading to Chesterfield for the Bible study over there. We happened to run into some construction on the highway, so we ended up having to get off the main road, and we're, we're drive, driving around downtown St. Louis, and neither of us are too sharp on that one, so we're driving around for probably 10 minutes and having no luck in finding an entrance ramp to get back up on the highway. I don't know if you've been there. You can see the highway. You just can't get to it. You know, It's like, how do I get up there? Because I'm down here, right? So finally, I said to Mike, you know what? We should pray and ask God for help. <laughs> this is after 10 minutes of circling around downtown, right? So we did, and within a minute, it was probably 30 seconds, you know, we ran right into an entrance ramp and we're back up on the highway again. And, you know, we had a good laugh over that. I was telling Mike, I said, you know, the Lord must have bumped the angels and said, watch these guys down here. These are my kids. Watch them, what they're going to do. They're going to run around for circles for a while. And then finally they're going to say, hey, my dad's got an answer. Why don't I just ask him? And we said, yeah, the angels must have got a good laugh out about that one too. You know, like, come on, guys, you know, (laughs) on the way to a Bible study right? And you forgot to pray first. So yeah, so it's, it's really better to pray up front instead of waiting until you've ran out of all your resources. And it's less embarrassing too, you know, if you do that up front. So David here, he was shook and he was frustrated. But Jonathan's going to try to calm him down and try to encourage him. And uh, look at verse 11 as it goes on. Jonathan said to David, come, let us go out in the field. So both of them went out in the field. I think this is pretty cool. Jonathan's like, man, let's go for a walk. We need to get you away from where you're at right now. It was a physical walk, but I think he was saying, we need to get you away from some of these thoughts you're having too, you know? So verse 12, then Jonathan said to David, the Lord God of Israel is witness. When I have sounded out my father sometime tomorrow, so I'll check this out for you, or the third day, I'll hang in there. And indeed there is good toward David, and I do not send to you and tell you. So if, if I find out that everything's okay and I don't bother to tell you, he says, verse 13, may the Lord do so and much more to Jonathan. <laughs> so he's saying very clearly, I think it's funny how he's going to the third person here to explain this, right? We're going to make sure you understand. I'm saying, David, if I fail you, then yes, me, Jonathan, you know, I'm going to ask the Lord to come after me. But verse 13, but if it pleases my father to do you evil, if I find out you're right about this, that I will report it to you and send you away, that you may go in safety, okay? And the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. So Jonathan assures David, you know, that he's gonna be sure to let David know what was going on. And he was letting David know that he would never leave him out in the cold. I will let you know either way, all right? And if things were worse than he imagined, then he would personally make sure that David got to safety. What a guy. 
Because he's putting his life at risk too. He's going for the king. Dad's already come after him once. Remember, dad was trying to kill his own son, Jonathan, before. So he's letting David know that you got nothing to worry about, you know, when it comes to me helping you. I, I will be there for you. So Jonathan was a good man, and he was a very good friend to David. And look at verse 14. And you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live, that I may not die. So this is Jonathan saying, you got to show me this kindness here. He's going to look at this, verse 15. But you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. My, my generation is after me. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan's making this covenant with David. And he was saying that he required two things from David. The one is, he says, I, I want you to pledge basically that you're not going to kill me. And, and that's what you see in verse 14. He says, you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live, that I may not die. And then verse, the second thing he wants is, don't kill any of my ancestors. Now, why would he say that? Well, at that time, you know, it was pretty common that if a new family took over the kingdom, when they would, they would just kill all the ancestors, you know, of the old regime. So there wouldn't rise up a rebellion after them and come after them down the road, you know, to, to try to stop them. So they'd simply wipe out the whole family, remove any possibility for somebody trying to take revenge against them or try to take over their kingdom. So here's, here's Jonathan saying that to David. Now think about this. If David is reading between the lines of what Jonathan just said, you know, if he's really hearing it, then, then he should really be encouraged. Because Jonathan was saying, in essence, look, you're going to be king. <laughs> no one can stop that. I'm not going to be king, but you will be. That's why I said when the Lord has cut off all the enemies of David, that means you're going to be king and God's going to wipe out all your enemies. Okay? He says, I don't want you to destroy my house when that happens. So by saying that, he was acknowledging to David that you're going to be the next king. It's going to happen, you know? Now, up to this point, until Jonathan injected these words of encouragement to him, David had been afraid of dying, right? He was afraid that God wasn't going to fulfill his promise that he had made to David, that he would be the next king of Israel. So, so notice this. This is, this is something for us to see. The great giant slayer, <laughs> the young man who killed the giant Goliath, was now suffering from a lack of faith. Isn't that something? And remember, we're all sinners, right? So don't look to David to be your hero. You know, as somebody said, Jesus is the only hero in the Bible. I mean, you think about that. All other, other people that the Lord raised up and show us how these people are, all of them had moments of failure. But Jesus never fails. Isn't that cool? So keep your eyes on Jesus and let him be your hero. You know? <laughs> I thought that was well said. Somebody said that. I thought, man, that was really good. And as we look at Jonathan here, he was believing in David when David wasn't even sure he's going to be alive a week from now, you know, in our story here. But what a blessing to have a friend who believes in you when things look bad on the outside. So David was very blessed to have such a friend. And I don't know that he was catching that at the moment. It's one of the things, you know, like 
when we get down in the dumps, we kind of miss all the blessings that are around us. <laughs> I mean, David should have stopped right here and said, Lord, I praise you for this friend in my life, this brother here in the Lord who, who has such a love for me, that he's sticking with me, even though there is a wanted poster on me out there. He's still here with me, you know. And that should encourage us right there, you know, just to have the blessing of a close friend. You know, so when we go through tough times, when our faith is shaken, we need to lean on those who have greater faith at the moment. And that's what's taking place right here. So David did go to, this, to the right guy, but there's some issues here too. I mean, you think about this. David had influenced Jonathan to lie. Wow, so Jonathan lost a testimony too on that one, right? Yeah, so we really gotta be careful when we, we think about what can I do to get out of this? Because if it's the flesh we go to, it's probably gonna mess us up and somebody else too. So you wanna think that one through. So verse 16, so Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David. Say this covenant goes beyond you, man. It goes to your generations after you. And here's what he said. Let the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemies. Now Jonathan again caused David to vow because he loved him. For he loved him as he loved his own soul. So Jonathan here, he made David recommit himself to Jonathan and they renewed their loving friendship, you know? And this is the kind of love that we should have in the body of Christ. The Lord tells us over and over in the New Testament to love one another. I mean, listen to just a few of these passages. 1 Peter 1.22, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. I Means no strings attached, no manipulation. I mean, you really care about these people because you care. 1 Peter 4.8 says, and above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Then 1 Thessalonians 3.12 says, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you. It's interesting, the Lord encourages us in the New Testament to just grow more and more in love. We, we never have enough love. We need to continue to grow there. And this picture between Jonathan and David is an awesome picture because this should be the norm for us as believers, that we love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. So go on, verse 18. <clears throat> then Jonathan said to David, tomorrow is the new moon and you will be missed because your seat will be empty. And when you have stayed three days, go down quickly and come to the place where you hid on the day of the deed and remain by the stone Azel. So he's got a plan. He says, then I will shoot three arrows to the side as though I were shooting at a target near his hand. And there I will send a lad saying, go find the arrows. Somebody said it's nice when you're the king's kid and you can shoot your arrows and you don't have to chase them. You can send some kid to go to them. So he says, I'll, I'll have this guy there and I'll do this. He said, if I expressly say to the lad, look, the arrows are on this side of you, get them and come. So if he says that to the kid and he's saying, come, he says, then as the Lord lives, there is safety for you and no harm. So he's saying, if I tell the kid, hey, get the arrows and come here, man. He's saying to David, you can come, it's safe. He says in verse 22, but if I say thus to the young man, look, the arrows are beyond you. Go your way, for the Lord has sent you away. So that's my message to you, David. If, if I shoot him way beyond him, I'm telling you, you need to get out of here because my dad's coming after you. So notice this, 
that Jonathan had a plan to let David safely know what was going on, but he was careful also to let him know that the Lord is in this situation. That's why he said at the end of verse 22, know that the Lord has sent you away. He's trusting God in all of this, which is an awesome thing to see. Verse 23 goes on. And as for the matter which you have, and I have spoken of, indeed, the Lord be between you and me forever. So John was saying, Jonathan was saying, no matter what, what, which way this goes, our friendship in the Lord is gonna remain intact forever. Okay, so don't let anything take place here change our relationship at all, because it's not changing on my side, you know? And what an encouragement, you know, that we have brothers and sisters in Christ who will always be there for us. I mean, that, that should be the norm again in the body of Christ. But we need to keep learn, learning to love. We can keep increasing on that. Verse 24, then David hid in the field, and when the new moon had come, the king sat down to eat the feast. Now the king sat on his seat as at other times, on a seat by the wall, and Jonathan arose, and Abner sat by Saul's side, but David's place was empty, which is what we figured would take place. Nevertheless, Saul did not say anything that day, for here's what he was thinking. Something has happened to him, he's unclean. Surely, surely he's unclean. So he figures that David must have done something to make himself ceremonially unclean, so that's why he didn't make it to the celebration. You know, and even touching a dead body would make a person unclean. And David being a soldier, he's probably assuming here, David probably had to fight somebody and he's unclean. That's why he's not here. So he explains that away. Verse 27, it happened the next day, the second day of the month. So day one, David doesn't show. The second day of the month, David's place was empty. Saul said to Jonathan, his son, why has the son of Jesse not come to eat either yesterday are today. Do you notice that King Saul couldn't even say David's name? <laughs> what hatred, right? Uh, where is that son of Jesse? Didn't he want to mutter his name? Verse 28, so Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked permission of me to go to Bethlehem. And he said, please let me go, for our family has a sacrifice in the city and my brother has commanded me to be there. And now if I have found favor in your eyes, please let me get away and see my brothers. Therefore, he has not come to the king's table. So Jonathan lied for David, you know, and that's sad to see because here again, David has influenced Jonathan to do something, but it's not a good thing, it's a bad thing, it's sinful. So we have to pray and ask the Lord, help us to be a good influence in others, not a bad influence. Verse 30, then Saul's anger was aroused against, not David, against Jonathan. And he said, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse, can't say his name again, to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? So look at who Saul got angry at. You know, Saul was saying that Jonathan was making shameful choices and he was acting like he came from a very rebellious mother, you know. So it wasn't a compliment for Jonathan or his mother <laughs> by what he's throwing out here. And he was saying that, that Jonathan's shame was going all the way back to the time when he was conceived. That's what it's talking about, the shame of your mother's nakedness there. So in other words, he's saying, you are wasting your entire life all the way back to your conception by these shameful, cho shameful choices that you're making right now. Wow, those are potent words coming from a father. That would hurt. Verse 31, <clears throat> for as long as the son of Jesse lives, Again, David's not gonna come out of his mouth here. For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, you shall not be established, nor your kingdom. 
Now therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. So he's saying, maybe you got a problem with killing him, but I don't. You bring him here and I'll finish that for you. So I think King Saul was even trying to manipulate Jonathan here, you know, by saying that, hey, as long as he's alive, you're never going to be king. So he's thinking that, that Jonathan has these selfish ambitions like his father, and this stuff doesn't bother Jonathan at all. He's already accepted the fact that God's anointed David. I'm not going to be that guy. But the cool thing with Jonathan is, instead of fighting it like his dad does, he decides to be next to David and encourage him, build him up. What a godly choice he's made, you know? But man, the enemy, his dad, his enemy, or it's a picture of him, he's really upset with what's going on. So verse 32, Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and he said to him, why should he be killed? What has he done? Now again, Jonathan's simply asking for some evidence, and he's done that before, and it's worked pretty good, you know? But, but just like when you back someone in the corner with facts, and they kind of revert to name calling because they don't have anything they can bring out that's really true facts or evidence. Saul here instead, he reverts to spear throwing instead of name calling because we see in verse 33, then Saul cast a spear at him to kill him. <clears throat> and it does make you wonder, why do they keep spears around this guy? You know, this guy's crazy, right? Wow. It says, uh, he cast a spear at him by which Jonathan knew that it was determined by his father to kill David. So the light finally came on and he says, I think my dad is trying to kill him, you know, but he's got duck this spear that's coming at him. So I think it's interesting that the spear missed him, but Jonathan got the point. There's a, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, thank you, somebody got that. <clears throat> okay, so he understands now dad hates David and he wants to kill him. He's got that. What a sad thing for, for Jonathan to realize when he's thought his dad's turned the corner. Dad's been prophesying, man, he doesn't hate you. Wow. Can you imagine the discouragement, disappointment that must have been in Jonathan's heart to think my dad really is evil? Wow. What a revelation for a son to have to find, right? Verse 34. This is an amazing verse, by the way. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger. Now look who's upset. And he ate no food for the second day of the month. He didn't even take a bite. Lost his appetite totally here. And look what it says. Why did he do that? For he was grieved for David because his father had treated him shamefully. Now if you catch that, Jonathan cared more about David than he did about himself, you know? He wasn't grieved because his dad just treated him shamefully. Look at the names he called him, stuff he said. And the normal thought is, as we read this, and I've read it that way before, not catching that, that I thought, well, sure, Jonathan's upset. His dad just shamed him, you know, made him mad about his friend and that. That's not what it says. He was grieved because of what his dad, how shameful he treated David. Wow. So he cared more about David than he did himself. And we see in Jonathan here, a beautiful picture of Christ who cared more about us than he did his own life. Now Jesus said in John 15, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Jesus did that for you and me, right? He went to the cross for us. So what an amazing picture here we see with Jonathan. Quite the unexpected thing. And he really stands out here as a picture of Christ. 
Verse 35, so it was in the morning that Jonathan went out into the field at the time appointed with David, and a little lad was with him. <clears throat> says, then he said to his lad, now run, find the arrows which I shoot. As the lad ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. When the lad had come to the place where the arrow was with Jonathan, uh, which Jonathan had shot, Jonathan cried out after the lad, he said, is not the arrow beyond you? So those are the clue words. And Jonathan cried out after the lad, make haste, hurry, do not delay. So this young guy thinks he's hollering at him, but uh, he's not. It says, so Jonathan's lad gathered up the arrows and came back to his master, but the lad did not know anything. Only Jonathan and David knew of the matter. Then Jonathan gave his weapons to his lad, and he said to him, go carry them to the city. Now, there's a couple things I think here. It's interesting he's going to let the lad get out of there. Notice, great wisdom here. He had a witness that when I went out to the field, what were you doing? Dad says, what were you doing out there? I was shooting arrows. Oh, really? You sure you weren't going to see David? I was shooting arrows. You can ask this young man. He was going out to collect the arrows for me. And as far as the young man knows, that's all he saw. <laughs> he was shooting arrows, and he handed me the stuff and told me to get back to town. So he's, he's got a witness. And on the other hand, <clears throat> look what he's showing David. He puts his weapons down. Get him out of here. He wants David to know, I am not showing you any harm at all, man. I really am your brother in the Lord here. And he has no intention to hurt him all. So he puts his weapons down. And it says in verse 41, as soon as the lad had gone, David arose from a place toward the south. He fell on his face to the ground. He humbled himself and he bowed down three times. And they, they, he's really thankful to Jonathan for going through with this. And they kissed one another. And that would be that, that kiss of greeting. And they wept together. But David more so. You know, and it's interesting. This, this same kiss of greetings practiced in a lot of places around the world. And they were weeping because they were probably not going to see each other you know, freely or publicly or get to enjoy each other's company, who knows, if ever, after this time, because he knows my dad's the king and he's going to be chasing you down and hunting you down. So he knows David's going to be the king, but he doesn't know about their relationship if we we'll ever see each other. So we see a lot of weeping taking place here, but notice what it said at the end of verse 41, but David wept more so. What a... What a what a relationship these guys had, brothers in the Lord here, really, really caring about each other. And although, although we've been seeing it from Jonathan's side, he really loves David as his own soul. David wept even more. An amazing picture. Yeah, so one of the things I want to mention about this, the, the homosexual group <laughs> these days, they try to use passages like this and say, see, these guys were homosexual. That's a total lie. You're twisting scripture. It's not what it says at all. But just a heads up on that one. If you have somebody coming across it, it bothers me that they would, they would try to do that to justify their, their sin. You can't do that. That's not what it's talking about at all. This was the, the normal kiss of greeting that's, that you see in other places of the world still today. You know, see him go do the kiss on each side of the cheek and all that. Yeah, so, but one of the things we notice about the passage in the passage here, we see this principle that evil actions, they separate people and they destroy relationships. And that's what's going on here. You know, the evil actions of, of King Saul have, have messed up this relationship now between these guys. They won't be able to enjoy each other's company because of the evil stuff that dad's pulling here. Yeah. So uh, then verse 42, then Jonathan said to David, go in peace. They've been weeping, man. They've got to wipe these tears off their face. 
says, go in peace, since we have both sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, may the Lord be between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. So he arose and he departed and Jonathan went into the city. So he's acknowledging that, you know, things went really bad here. Man, they, they went bad. But we're still here for each other. We still have the Lord. And we've, we've got the Lord's covering on our generations between us down the road. You know, so <clears throat> we get some interesting pictures just as you, you think about this passage. Here's a believer, David, scared, doesn't know what's going on. He needs to have his trust revitalized in the Lord because now he's, he's looking at himself. I'm going to die. What does the enemy love us to do? Look at ourself. <laughs> and, and David needed to get his eyes back on the Lord. And, and praise the Lord, Jonathan, if you notice, there's at least, I like, think, like three times in the passage, he keeps bringing up the Lord to David. He's bringing up the Lord. <laughs> I don't know if you need a friend like that, but I sure hope you will be a friend like that. A friend like that, Lord, that will see my brother or sister in Christ. They're struggling right now, and they just need someone to lean on for faith and try to inject that faith back, back in them again. Be that believer. There are people who are hurting today, I'm sure. You know, they need you. They need your encouragement. They need your faith. If you're having one of those days where you're just pumped for the Lord, don't keep it for you. Share that with others because they're hurting, you know. And don't keep it just on our walls here. Take it out there, too. There are people you're going to run into on the street who are hurting, and they need to have their faith revitalized. Rich told me a story. He was in the plane going back, and he said... There was a lady sitting off to the side. He's in his layover in the airport. And he said, I saw this lady sitting there and she seemed real personable and said hi. And he said, I just didn't really want to talk to a lady. You know, at this point, I just thought, I don't, I don't want to do that. I just want to be here. And if the Lord wants me to talk to a guy, great. Sure enough, a guy comes, a businessman stands right between him and this lady sitting there, you know. So he said, this, uh, this guy's on the phone. He's sitting down, he's standing up and sitting down. He just, you know, he, there was no opportunity to say a word to this guy. So finally, Rich says, okay, I'm going to say something to this lady. So he says, hey, uh, the weather's pretty nice out there. And she goes, yes, it is, you know, good day for travel and stuff. And they start talking, and he starts talking about the Lord and stuff, you know. Come to find out this lady's a Christian. <laughs> and he says, this lady's been praying. She said, I was praying this morning. Lord, I need to get back with you. I need to get closer. And here's Rich, not knowing this. And he's been telling her, you need to get in the Word, man. Get in the Word, you know. The Lord will really pump you up. You need to get in the Word. You know, Rich does that, right? <laughs> so uh, this lady told him, after he said all this, she said, hey, I was praying this morning, told him what happened. She said, thank you so much for turning me to the Bible. I need to read it more. And she left. And that was it. People around us, Christians we run into, need that kind of encouragement. Man, keep your heart open. And you know what? We'll miss it. We'll miss it if we're doing like David. We're just looking at ourselves. I'm going to die. Poor me. I'm going to die, you know. And we need a Jonathan who says, man, look to the Lord. Look to him. So again, be that person. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love. Thank you for your patience with us. Lord, I thank you for the people you have put in our life who will detect that lack of faith, especially when we're shouting it at them, Lord, and, and they'll tell us, you need to look back to Jesus. 
And Lord, today, I'm sure there are folks here who are hurting who need to hear that. And I know there are folks here who are pumped up in you today. They're just having a great walk with you today. Lord, please let that come out of them. Let that, that energize somebody else. And Lord, I pray today, as even this coming week, as we run into people on the street, help us to pay attention to them. And Lord, I pray if a conversation is needed, you'd open the door for that. You'd give us a boldness. Fill us with your spirit, please. And let us be that encouragement to them. Thank you so much for your word, Lord. Help us to stay in your word to, get, to hear you speak to our heart like I know you have today. And Lord, we, we just give you all the praise for that. If someone is here today and they do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I pray, speak to their heart, Lord. Help them surrender today. The safest place to be in this world, especially in our time, is in Christ. So Lord, I pray, help them to believe on Christ, accept him into their heart, thank him for dying on the cross to save them from their sins. And Lord, you get all the praise for that too. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.